You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Sarah Box here, your host for another great interview this week. Our guest is Oscar from Bully. Let me share a little bit about Oscar before we actually have him come on live and share even more. Um, There's a quote that Oscar submitted, and we have a back-end process ahead of the interview. And I loved this quote, and it makes me have questions, which I'll probably get into with him. But he says, active listeners... Active listeners notice what's said. Deep listeners explore what isn't said. So think about that, ponder that, as I tell you a little bit about Oscar, and then we'll bring him on. Oscar is the host of the Apple Award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, and he's a sought-after keynote speaker. Now, I have become a recent devotee of the podcast. There's so much there. Um, So he's hit my favorite list of podcasts to listen to just because It opens my brain in a whole new way. He's the author of Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words, Breakthroughs, How to Confront Assumptions, and his newest book, which I'm now reading also, How to Listen, Discover the Hidden Keys to Better Communication. So podcast listeners in our community, these are all things that we are interested in and wonder about. Along with his Deep Listening Ambassador community, he is on a quest to create one million deep listeners in the workplace. And that's how he's doing it, through working with chairs, boards of directors, executive teams. And that has let him experience firsthand the transformational impact leaders can have when they listen beyond just the words. He believes that when leadership teams focus their attention and listening, they will build organizations that create powerful legacies for the people they serve today, but actually more importantly, for the future generations. He loves afternoon walks with his wife, Jenny, and their dog, Kilimanjaro. And on the weekends, he's got grandkids, you know, you can find him playing Legos with him. So with that, let's welcome our guest, Oscar Tromboli. Hi, Oscar. G'day, Sarah. Looking forward to listening to our conversation together today. Well, thanks. I have a question for you to start with, and that is, how do you prepare to listen to others? Three very simple things I do uh, beforehand. And uh, number one, never book an appointment at the top of the hour. So if you're a client of mine or I set a meeting with you, the meeting will always start at five after the hour or five after the half hour. That five minutes is a gift, not just for me, but for them. The same is true if that meeting is a group meeting as well. Sarah, the number of times people say to me, oh, Oscar, I love our meetings because I actually get time to go to the restroom, make a cup of coffee or pause and collect my thoughts before I come into the conversation. And as a result, when people arrive to our conversation, they're not giving me the immediate, I'm really sorry I'm late, I've got a back-to-back meeting, I'm just processing the last meeting, hey, can you just bear with me, I've just got to send one last email, but they're in the space 
and they're ready to go. Number two, um, I always play a song, uh, one of three songs typically, and if you've read the book, you may know those songs already, but the songs are at three different tempos based on the purpose of the meeting. So the tempo ranges from 80 beats per minute all the way to 160 beats per minute. At 160 beats per minute, it's a energy state where I've got to bring and carry more energy to a conversation than I normally would. And at 80 beats per minute, it's you know me being in the space and being a lot more contemplative. So Marconi Union and their uh, instrumental eight-minute song, Weightless, that's the 80 beats per minute, Easy by Groove Armada, sitting at about 120. And Remember the Name by Fort Minor, which often shocks people uh, because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very um, aggressive kind of song uh, in regard to not just how it's said, but the way the music goes as well. So number two is I prepare by playing music. It was an interesting one for me, Sarah, funnily enough. If you had to speculate which one of those three songs I used to prepare today for our conversation, because I've, I've listened to a couple of your interviews in advance, where would you have gone on the tempo for this conversation? I actually listened to all three of them, so I know them. And um, that's so interesting. I know that it's morning for you. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're a morning person or a night person. Morning person. Oh, oh, okay. As am I. So let me think. Well, I actually, the most up-tempo one, even though you say it's got a more aggressive thing with it, it's very seductive. I mean, like you get into it and get you going. Mm. So I have no clue where you'd be. The, I like the meditative one, but then I think I'd be kind of chill to get on an interview. So I don't know, Oscar, where would you be? I picked Groove Armada, um, easy, and that's the, that's the one in the middle because one of the things you've got to be conscious of when you're listening and bringing your listening energy, it's not just your listening energy, it's their listening energy and the listening energy in this case, where's the audience listening energy is and what do I want to create for audience listening energy? And I, and I sensed it was somewhere in the middle rather than it the edges based on what I've listened to in the past. So number one, five minutes after the hour, five minutes after the half hour, two, um, those three songs. And those three songs and music is used to reset the neural pathways, to recharge your listening batteries really quickly. Music will do that as will physical movement as well. And then tip number three, glass of water before I came on. And um, I'll get through this large glass of water by the time we're finished today as well. A hydrated brain is a listening brain. Coffee doesn't count. Uh, you'll have to drink coffee and water. Uh, so if you, if you think you can get away with Starbucks, that's great. But I strongly recommend uh, a hydrated brain is a listening brain. Throughout, to bring myself to center, I will always notice my breathing and your breathing. That's the bonus tip. Three deep breaths will bring me back to center during the conversation as well. So I that's how it. I prepare. I like Practice it. Practice okay. what I teach and make sure I'm role modeling that to the people I work with. It's often funny at the half an hour meeting in a keynote, I'll go, well, now's a great time for a glass of water and everyone will be completely confused, but I'm trying to get them to drink water and pay attention to me. Well, I have tea here. It has water in it. But now that I know it's not water, it doesn't count. 
<laughs> Depends. If it's herbal tea, no problem. If it's tea with um, some kind of caffeine in it, maybe. No, yeah, sir. It's good old PG tips tea. <laughs> it's not herbal. Um, but I have herbal. I will bear that in mind for my next set of water, the water. If you can do both, just have water close at hand. I will. You brought up listening batteries in what you just mm. talked about. What do you mean by that? Well, what most of us don't realize is we have a finite listening capacity, uh, just a little bit of nerdy neuroscience. Listening happens just behind the skull in the prefrontal cortex, the modern part of the brain. It's not something at the back in the limbic system close to our spinal column, uh, a more primitive brain. And it uses the part of the brain that has working memory in it and working memory is finite, that's fragile. And what we aren't conscious of, a lot of people say to me, oh, Oscar, listening's hard, it's draining. And I say, you're doing it all wrong. You're trying to do therapy. It's, therapy's not listening. They're, they're two completely different things. And one of the things you want to notice is that throughout the day, your listening batteries will have a different charge. So when you're first up in the morning and you've had a good night's sleep and and maybe you haven't consumed a lot of alcohol the night before, your listening batteries are likely to be green. There may be situations, people, conflict, that will drain your listening battery from green to yellow, and maybe from yellow to red, and maybe from red to completely blacked out. Most of us aren't even conscious that we have listening batteries we don't realize our listening is finite we think it's something that we don't need to be conscious of so there's two elements to that one is just managing the battery how, how fast is it being drained and, and then number two how frequently do we need to recharge it working with a lot of executives that uh, do conference calls and drive home one of the things i always say to them is to recharge your listening batteries so you can get home is stop two blocks before your home and complete the calls there. Don't do them in the driveway. Don't do them in your garage. Two blocks away. Create some separation so you can recharge your listening battery. Two blocks away is the length of one song, by the way, so that you can come into a situation where you're available. So for many of us, we're not even conscious that throughout the day or during a conversation, our listening batteries may not be appropriate to the performance we're asking them to undertake. When are your listening batteries most drained, Sarah? When are they most drained? Hmm. Well, okay. They're most drained when I've had to do a lot of quick cognitive work in a group without time to reflect so i'm getting information and i'm i'm needing to quickly analyze and share back so i've got all this listening what the same time as i'm trying to think and process and being an internal processor i don't like to extemporaneously come up with stuff so i'm working on that so after like about an hour or two of that i can feel that i'm dull and i I'm not sure you would notice it from the outside if you were just thinking about like watching the performance, performance, right? Not presence, but I feel a difference inside. So I feel like just not so shiny anymore. And it, it's a, it's a harder stretch for me. 
And then my compassion when I'm actually talking with people who aren't work related is really kind of limited. Hmm. Would you visualize your listening batteries as yellow or red in that context? Yellow tending towards orange. Okay. Getting redder. Hmm. So you can't change the meeting time and make it five minutes later. Well, uh, I probably... just took that from you. I'm doing that. No, no, no. I'm just saying if you've gone for that 90-minute stretch that you talked about, right, we can't change the meaning from that point of view. Uh, we can't play music in the middle of it. What we can do, though, is signal to the host, and if you're the host, you hold the space, uh, inviting people to physically move, whether that's virtual or in person, uh, creating five minutes of space to use the body completely will be a great way to recharge the listening batteries as well as the simple act of, hey, great time. Um, let's grab some water. Let's, let's have a break. And rather than go from yellow to orange down to red, just set that up as a recharge and all of a sudden you're back to amber, maybe green. Yeah. The point is very simple though, Sarah, is most of us don't have a consciousness so even realize we've got listening batteries. No, I like that analogy to it because it's it's concrete to me. I can see the battery. We all know what the battery in our phone going down looks like. So and I'm pretty in touch with when my energy is going down, especially in a big group facilitation. Um, hmm. And I have learned over the years, like I have to tell people to watch each other. Also, because I'll just get task oriented and we just crank through stuff and we get a lot done. Right. But we're all exhausted at the end. So now I just lighten up a little bit and go, OK, you guys, I'm tired. Are you tired? Because you've been doing a lot of brain work. Let's take some time. And then they goof around and stuff. We are back. They're so productive when you get back. And so am I, Oscar. So I didn't know the concept of battery, which is oh. super helpful. And then the flip side, I guess, in architecting that workshop, because I, I do a lot of work with facilitation associations as an example, is embedding listening by design. So rather than waiting to the fact that it's like, I'm tired, are you tired? It's like, we're all tired. Um, now, I'm not saying we're never tired, but I'm saying by design, one of the things the facilitators put a lot of thought into is the agenda, the timing, the how, the this, the that. It's like, I invite them to map energy as well into the agenda. And when they have this dimension of energy, and again, I'll just say, just visualize a listening battery, not just for you, but also those present. All of a sudden, the kinds of exercises and the way people are using their body in those exercises alters dramatically and start to move the modality of inside versus outside versus individual versus group versus reflective. There's a great consciousness of that. And I think the, the difference between a good listener is a good listener knows that they're distracted. You know, they've, they get distracted. Okay, I'm distracted. Whereas a great listener has rituals, practices, and processes to protect themselves and the participants, as we've just discussed, so that they can anticipate these things that may become barriers that get in the way of listening, because I think good listeners will focus on what's said and, and great listeners will start to notice what's not said. And, and most of the time what's not said isn't something that they have to verbalize, but it's more about their state 
their energy, their presence. They being the... The participant, the counterpart in the conversation, anybody else. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm reflecting on that just briefly because I was noticing in my notes from something recently, there was a lot of great ideas that came from people. In fact, at the end of the meeting, I asked people to to reflect and share what they appreciated about how each other showed up. And it was one of those meetings where some people are in one geography, some are with me in a room, and some are still elsewhere in the Hmm. universe, right? But they mentioned how much they appreciated it was one of the first times they'd done a planning session that someone didn't storm out of the room mad. And in my head, Oscar, I'm thinking, oh, so glad to know that was even not going to happen, right? Because I never had that option in my brain that we would lose people like that. So it made me laugh, but it also made me look at the work that had been accomplished with more appreciation because it was very vulnerable, a lot of great ideas. And it, I just realized how hard it is to come to something and be yourself and share sometimes if you feel that you're not being heard. Which mm-hmm. brings me to my question what is the difference of listening? and being heard. I'm going to share three numbers and a dirty little secret. Okay. Here's the dirty little secret. This is going to sound so counterintuitive. You need to listen to how I say it very carefully. It's not your job as the listener to comprehend what they're saying. It's your job as the listener to help them make sense of their thinking and what they mean. One more time, please. It's not your job as the listener to comprehend what they're saying. It's your job to help them understand what they think and what they mean. Okay. This is a very different orientation around your listening. And this makes your listening lighter, easier, and fun. A lot of people say to me, oh, God, Oscar, I can't do this listening stuff. It's so draining. It's so debilitating. I just don't have the energy. And I just say, look, can I invite you to look at a different perspective? Because maybe easier than you think. When you understand these three numbers, you understand why it's absolutely critical to listen to what people don't say. Is the numbers 125, 400, 900. 125 on average, Western English speaking workplaces, speaking speed per minute, 125 to 150 words per minute. Now, if you're a horse race caller, a cattle yard auctioneer, you may be doing 200 words per minute and you could completely understand everything I say at 200 words per minute. And we know people can do this because they speed up their YouTube videos. In fact, you're probably listening to this podcast faster than the speed at which it was initially recorded at. So 125 words per minute on average speaking speed. Here's the problem though, your listening speed, 400 words per minute. I'm speaking too slow. You're bored, you're distracted, you're anticipating, you're making assumptions, you're filling in what I'm gonna say next. And that's okay. We have peripheral vision, we have peripheral hearing. And it's part of our survival instinct as humans to be able to hear faster than the other person can speak. In the evolution of humanity, speech was by far the last thing that humans ever did. They saw first, then they started to listen, and eventually language emerged. But language is a very, very modern part of the human brain. 
So while you're chopping up vegetables, while you're doing your chores, while you're commuting, whatever you're doing while you're listening to me, it's okay. A good listener knows they're distracted. A great listener will have a strategy. Of the three numbers, though, the 900 is the most important. If you take away any number from today, it's 900. 900 on average in a Western English-speaking workplace is the thinking speed of an individual on average. Yet if you work in a workplace that requires collaboration, creativity, maybe resource-constrained, maybe competitive, you'll be thinking up to 1,600 words per minute. So here's the challenge, Sarah. I can think at 900 words per minute, but I can only speak at 125 words per minute. Now, I have dyscalculus, which means I have a very bad relationship with numbers. It means I failed high school maths. And as a result, I may get these numbers wrong, but you'll correct me if I'm, if I'm not. At 125 words per minute and I've got 900 stuck in my head, the first thing I say is 14% of what I think. And we're all having conversations in a workplace with the other person about the first 14% of what they think. It may not be well-formed. It may not be the one that's appropriate in the moment, but we're just going to dialogue around this roulette wheel with a 14% chance of victory. And we wonder why listening is hard, why it creates confusion, frustration, chaos, and conflict in our workplaces. Stop listening just to the 14% is the big message and start listening to the 86% they haven't said. Now, you're not going to be able to listen to all 900 words per minute because some of those 900 words per minute, you probably don't want to know. There's a garbage truck outside the front of my house right now and you probably don't want to know about the fact there is a garbage truck outside the front of my house while we're recording this. So as you reflect on the 125-900 rule that says, I speak nine times far, I think nine times faster than I can speak. What's going through your mind right now as you're processing those numbers? Okay, the number that really stuck in my mind was the 1600. Mm. Because that is the speed with which, and this is a, I can't speak worldwide. I can only speak to my experience here in the Western US corporate and entrepreneurial space. When we're collaborating or working with people, it's not only thinking fast, but trying to understand and do this. So it feels faster to me, even than my normal thinking, which feels kind of relaxing at 900 or whatever it is. It's like, mm. okay, that feels familiar. So mm. that 1600 really struck. And then I'm thinking, okay, at 125 to 1600, that's a huge gap. That's 5%. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I just, Think about no wonder people get anxious. They said, hurry up, finish. What are you done with their thought yet? And um, it just makes me wonder, what are we getting wrong? So yeah, some, sometimes we just have to slow down to speed up. But you when we, mentioned when we hear what yeah. people think, and more importantly, what they mean, meetings are shorter. We know this from our research group where we've got 22,000 people who've completed this listening quiz, and we've been tracking 1,410 for the last four years. And they tell us that when they apply these techniques that we talk about, you know, shave off five minutes at either end of the meeting and ask a couple of questions, which we'll chat about shortly. The meetings are quicker because people get to say what they mean. 
not just feel rushed because they've got five minutes on the agenda and we've got the next agenda item and all we do is just listen transactionally. Good listeners, they listen for similarities. Great listeners, they listen for differences. Good listeners listen to symptoms and great listeners listen at systems level, they listen systemically. So there's a, there's, a, there's a real nuance in the way we think about how we listen. Here's the one tip that our listening ambassadors say that when they ask this question, ideally before the meeting ever takes place, but if not at the very beginning of the meeting, when they ask this question, this becomes the compass setting for the entire conversation for the speaker for the listener and for the outcome because there's always a third element in every listening conversation and that's not the people present that's the agreement they entered into for the outcome they wanted to achieve now this is not that compass setting but it helps to triangulate all three question is this what would make this a great conversation now you could tailor it and personalize it and simply say, hey, Sarah, what will make this a great conversation for you? But I encourage you not to put the for you on there because it helps them become really selfish and don't think about the system's implications of what they may discuss. So Sarah says, you know, Oscar, what will make this a great conversation for me is could we fully explore the energy levels in a conversation? Okay, great. Our research tells us that only 28% of people when invited, what made this a great conversation? Ask the same question back to the other person. If they don't ask you, Oscar, what made this a great conversation? That's not your invitation to ignore the point. You need to declare the point and what will make this a good conversation for you as well. So there has to be a consciousness between both parties or all parties in the room, all parties in the dialogue, what will be a great conversation? Now, Sarah, what I want you to do is hold that for a moment. And every 15 minutes, I'm going to remind you of this compass setting. At the 15 minute mark in a one hour meeting, I'll say to you, hey, Sarah, the beginning of the meeting, you said, blah, 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 blah. How are we tracking with that? And you say a variety of things. You'll say, I'm glad you asked, Oscar, because you know what? Now that I think about it a little longer, I've completely avoided a really critical issue. <sighs> yeah, glad you asked, Oscar. Now that I think about it, there's something that's been gnawing away in the back of my mind that we haven't even got to. Could we just spend a bit of time exploring blah, 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 blah? Or, and we know this happens in a third of cases with our research group, you know what, Oscar? I've covered off everything I need. We can probably finish the meeting up right now. But because most of us don't hold that little compass together in the conversation, we feel obliged to some ritual to stay in a meeting till the end of the hour. And for those of you who can't see Sarah right now, she's nodding, she's laughing, she's smiling, she's having a little aha moment all by herself. I am. I'm, I'm curious, and I'm sure those listening are as well. What's, what's going through your mind? What's going through my mind is the hundreds of meetings that we had an agenda. We covered the agenda, but the hour wasn't up, and so we stayed there. And I'm thinking in my head at the time, I still remember thinking, 
what the hell? I got a lot of stuff to be doing here. We've we've accomplished what we came here for. And if you want to stay and gripe about something, have at it. I can go. Right. So it's like it's, I'm just thinking of those hours. And um, even when I set like we this team I work with, we have a standing meeting. But when we're done, we're done. And it's usually like, have we left anything off that people, you know, have we not talked about something? And once everybody goes, I got my needs met. No, I'm good. This is what we needed to do. See, see you next week um, or through email, whatever. But I've just yeah. re- I'm smiling because of how many times the pain could have been relieved by just asking the question. But I actually like your setup question first. Um, yeah, because I find if I ask, I've been doing that like with groups. I'll ask that in a pre meeting survey. Very simple. But I'll say, what would make this a success for you? Because I want to know how many differing expectations there are, because I've usually only spoken with one person who's organizing things. Well, they aren't the be all and end all of the group. They are a leader. So I like to know what other people want and need also. So but it never occurred to me to check in on that. So that's brilliant. So, Sarah, can I play? (laughs) If you're nice. (laughs) Okay. It's about your listening through the survey. What's your intention by collecting that pre-meeting? I have a twofold intention. Did you want me to answer? Go ahead. Okay. I have a twofold intention. I want to know. I'm usually being brought in when there's some level of dissension. So I'm trying to get a temperature read on where people are who has felt somewhat without using these words, but disenfranchised or left out or confused. Hmm. I'm trying to assess that. I'm trying to assess where there's already pretty good agreement on things so that we're not having to rehash, not to ignore them, but to bring them up, but not to feel like um, they have to spend a ton of time on them and to find out what's really most important to people because we have a finite amount of time at this Mm. thing. Mm. So I'm trying to gauge a group who often don't get asked, they get told. Okay. So for whose benefit are you collecting that? Mine in being able to agendize and create an environment for them and theirs to make sure that if it's painful for them to sit through an eight hour meeting, we don't do it. We come up with some other strategy ahead of time. Okay. Uh, For fun, just pretend this is an experiment. And we, we, you don't have any survey tools whatsoever. And you enter the room and you have to help the, group listen to itself what happens then i would do that i've done that on the fly yeah so here's my speculation um that surveying that's all for you doesn't actually help the group it helps me it helps me yes i would say that's accurate yeah which means it helps them because it saves them resources so i hear an assumption Ah, okay. Thank you. And I want to explore if that's true, if it's something you're conscious of. If I walked into that room, I would just ask the same set of questions to the group because I think it's more important that the group hears the answers than you do as the facilitator. 
What do you hear when I say that? I think that's a great. I just wonder. I hear my own assumptions that if I know that I'm better prepared, right, I can walk in. If they need X, I don't think, oh, gee, I wished I would have known that ahead of time. I could have been better prepared. Um, so, no, I would say you're, you're absolutely correct. It helps me more than them. And it wouldn't be hard to walk in because I've had to do that on the fly where you say, okay, what's the pressing issue today? How would you guys mm -hmm. like to talk about this or deal with this? Like we come to agreements on the spot and there we go, right? Yeah, because in that moment, as I mentioned, I work with a, a lot of facilitation associations and part of their process is to have the survey at the beginning. And I, I understand why there might be a historical reason for that, but it is about the attention on the facilitator and not on the system. And whatever you collect pre-survey, it's going to color your experience. Oh, wow, look what they wrote. I wonder how they'll show up in the room as opposed to show up, be present and deal with what's there because they have to as well. And I think it's really crucial that they hear their voice express their issue, their way, not in some summarized, abstracted word cloud or whatever we do to show them back what they said in an anonymized way. But then the group goes, okay, well, I've, 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 I've voiced my concern and a great facilitator will hear the voices that are absent and, and, and bring them to the surface as well and figure out whether that's in pairs, triads or in, in a full group. But the most important thing is the group needs to hear itself rather than the facilitator exclusively because, let's admit it, Sarah, there's a bit of seductive power in having all the answers in advance, aren't there? Seductive. Well, I would call it avoidance um, of trouble. Yes, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to be honest with you and say, I'm not sure I would call it seductive power, but it certainly is more affirming. It's more confidence building, especially if I'm going into a hostile environment. So, um, or which has been portrayed that way. So point it, taken. It's like a hostile environment. It's like, yeah, that's okay. Um, we'll learn, we'll progress. We're all adults, we'll move on. Um, sometimes we confuse planning for perfection. I'm not saying that's the case with you, but um, sometimes well, you we sit- me, you would know it wasn't perfection. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we sit there with the knowledge the the that we use to create a power differential as the facilitator. Oh, if only you knew what they said about that topic, you know. And I think our job is to detach ourselves, to submit ourselves to our own process and let the group listen to itself fully. And I think that pre-survey doesn't honour the group because there isn't the level of transparency to ensure that there is full hearing and full listening taking Interesting. place. Interesting. Okay, so I will so, write. So to maybe, you. I will maybe you it's something it you practice on. Yeah, I will practice on it because you know if I don't try stuff, I never know, Oscar. I'm not. I have learned over the years it's okay to make mistakes, and so now I kind of revel in it. It's like, look, give it a shot. It's going to work, or it's not going to work, and you're going to get better. So I think that's hmm. great. But now, it requires you... a restructure. Yeah, but if you said to me, "Hey, Oscar, look, the purpose of this survey is we ask that." Same set of questions at the beginning and the end, and it's an artifact we create to show the group that they've made progress. Great. That's all about the group as opposed to you 
collecting to be prepared. That's a yeah. very different intention there. Right. I do the um, other type type two, kind of like here's a placement where you all think you are, and then let's do it later and see where you are. But that all goes right back out. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to share a story, and this is a story about Christopher. And Christopher is a schoolboy. He comes home from school. And his mum is looking after three other children. And she's a former primary school teacher, but she's a stay-at-home mom right now. And uh, Christopher jumps home very excited from school and says, Mummy, Mummy, we learn maths. We learn the threes, half of eight today. And Jennifer was a little bit confused. And she thought she misheard him. And she said, Honey, could you say that again? And he said, uh, we learned that three is half of eight and maths today. And she put her hands in her face and thought, what are they teaching kids at school today? What are they teaching kids at school today? So she thought on her feet really quickly. She went to the kitchen cupboard. She grabbed eight M&Ms out of the cupboard and she lined them up like little chocolate soldiers, four by four facing each other. And she picked Christopher up and put him on the kitchen bench and said, honey, could you count how many chocolate soldiers are here? And he went one, two, three, four. And how many on the other side? And he goes, mommy, I don't need to count. They're facing each other. It's four. And she thought, okay, good. See, Christopher, honey, four is half of eight, not three. And with that, Christopher jumped off the kitchen bench. He went to the corner and he grabbed a piece of paper with a Sharpie and he drew the figure eight for his mum on a piece of paper. And then what he did was he folded the piece of paper in half and then he tore it in half and showed it to his mum and he went, see, mummy, three is half of eight. And in that moment, Jennifer realized that Christopher perceived the world completely differently. Now, by the way, Sarah, if you fold the eight in half horizontally, zero is half of eight, three is half of eight, and four is half of eight. See, Christopher was thinking in geometry, and Jennifer was thinking in arithmetic. And in workplaces and in relationships, Everybody is having a three is half of eight conversation because your listening has been trained by your history, your profession, your culture, and your family upbringing. And when I said three is half of eight, everybody is probably screaming at the podcast going, what is this guy going on about? Four is half of eight, four is half of eight, four is half of eight. When you listen beyond the words and listen to what Christopher meant, not what he said, you'll be in a world of many more possibilities because you're listening beyond the words. Back to our dirty little secret, it's your job to help them make sense of what they think and help them understand what they mean. When you're listening to somebody in the workplace and you're having your three is half of eight moment and you're screaming in your head and going, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, you are listening to what they say, not what they haven't said. And you need to elevate your listening up to the higher levels, level three, level four, and level five. Now, a little postscript. Christopher today is a world champion bug catcher. Christopher graduated college well before his peers, three years ahead. Christopher is not neurotypical. Christopher would be considered neurodiverse. Some people might even call him autistic. 
And Christopher solved some of the world's most complex computer software problems. They're the kinds of bugs he catches every day. And if you were listening for similarities, when I said bug catcher, you were probably visualizing somebody chasing butterflies with a net, even though I was describing computer software because you didn't understand what I meant. So my wish for everybody is simply this. Ask yourself, when you're fiercely disagreeing with someone, is it possible that there is more than one right answer? A zero is half of eight, three is half of eight, four is half of eight, and who knows what else could possibly be half of eight. What are you making out of the story, Sarah? Have you had a <laughs> oh, three is half it. of eight moment yourself well, recently? Well, I have them frequently all the time. I mean, I will catch myself going, "How? I don't understand what you're saying. Like, really, I don't. I don't get it. You, you keep repeating it. I repeat back what I think you're saying. And then all of a sudden it dawns on me, we're in two different spaces. We're coming at like this, right? We're not even on the same playing field. And so, so the whole time you're telling that story and I'm thinking about the mom and how logical she was and how thoughtful. And, and then here's brilliant Christopher, right? Mommy, look. And I'm thinking, oh, gotcha. It was a gotcha moment because there was that literal space of being in there without going, how does someone else see this world? Right? How do they see it? I don't know how they see it. Um, and I like gotchas like that. When you said, no, he's, he's doing computer bugs. I'm going, dag nabbit, I got hooked. You know, I, it's like a great <laughs> joke when a great joke happens and you, you get it. You're going, oh my God, I couldn't even see it coming. So that's what I'm thinking about that. And how often that happens, because it happens frequently, I can be a very literal listener. And if when I get stuck in that, I miss the point someone's trying to make sometimes. And I really have to reel back and go, I don't get it. Can you tell me more? Can you just mm. tell me a little bit more? I'm not, an, I think I'm not present or something like that. It's like, I've got to get current with you. Um, if I'm present enough to know that. Otherwise, it's not always a good, it's not always a good interchange in, initially. But it brings, I took your listening test and that made me smile as well because <laughs> it's very revealing. But I'm wondering before we finish the podcast, if you would talk about the listening, the five levels of listening, you've referred to them. Just also about the villains, because that that's an interesting um, way of thinking about thinking about listening. So the villains, I, I wrote blog posts for two and a half years on what world class listeners do. Sarah, I, I reviewed the academic literature. I looked at our own research and I explained what world class listeners did. And, and I got no engagement whatsoever. Crickets, in fact. And then I read a book by uh, Dan Gregory and Kieran Flanagan called Stupid, Scared and Simple. And in this book, it explains that humans will relate to negative consequences much faster than they will relate to positive consequences. So I thought, okay, this is a gift. Nobody's engaging with my newsletter. Um, a quick little side note, I, I sat next to Dermot, an Irish guy at a conference, and I said, oh, Dermot, nobody's engaging with the newsletter. He said, um, what's, what's the topic of the newsletter, Oscar? I said, oh, it's listening. He goes, you idiot, in a very Irish accent. 
he says, you don't do a newsletter, you idiot. You do a podcast. Anyway, so we, we created a podcast and then we got lots of people engaging with that. Back to Scared Stupid and Simple. The next week, I wrote a blog post and a podcast article on the four villains of listening. What are the barriers that get in people's way? I had never got so much engagement in my life to date. It is the most engaged thing I've ever written. It's been shared over 1,600 times. And the four villains of listening are around the research that we did and what are the primary barriers that get in people's way. So the four villains are dramatic, interrupting, lost, and shrewd. Now, if you visit listeningquiz.com, you can take the four and a half to seven minute quiz, depending on how fast you time. On average, we know people do it in four and a half minutes. And you can discover who your primary listening villain is. And we give you a tip about what to do about it as well. We don't leave you hanging out there as well. And this came about from two and a half years of research and hat tip to Heidi Martin from research company Audience Instinct, who used some complex mathematical formula. Remember, I have dyscalculus. So I don't even know the heuristics that sit behind it. Uh, only for her to say is there's a driver analysis that you do, Oscar, and there's four consistent cohorts that have emerged in the data set that you've provided to me. I said, Heidi, what does that mean in English? She said, there's four villains. I was like, perfect. I understand that now. And these are the four villains we just talked about. Within the model of the four villains of listening, we also see a hierarchy in the way people use language. We asked three specific questions in our initial qualitative research. What frustrates you when somebody doesn't listen to you? What do you struggle with when it comes to your own listening? And then finally, what's one thing you'd like to improve in your listening? And we did linguistic analysis of these through the five levels of listening. The five levels of listening are level one, listening to yourself. Level two, listening to the content. For the next three levels, three, four, and five, we move from listening to things to listening for things. So we go from listening to yourself and listening to the content to listening for context, for the unsaid, and for their meaning. And the highest level of listening is level five, which is listening for their meaning. And we know in our database there was only 0.05% of people in the database who had language to express level five. 86% of people could only express language at level one and level two. That's where the majority of the workplace listeners that we researched are there. Now, we could do a whole episode on um, the four villains of listening, which we've done in our podcast, as well as the five levels of listening, which we did eight podcasts on that go well over 10 hours uh, to unpack each of those. Suffice to say, Sarah, it's really simple. For most of us, we need to have our listening batteries fully charged. We need to start our meetings five minutes after the hour. We need to play some music before we arrive. We need to drink water while we're doing that and continue to take some deep breaths. If we do that, we've built a foundation to move our way up. And most people, honestly, Sarah, are completely lost in their own head in a conversation because they're either still in the last meeting, they may be in the next meeting, 
but they're absolutely not available because all the browser tabs in their memory bank are completely full and they need to shut some of those down to be able to help to listen to the other person. Okay, I have one final question for you. And then I do want, you have been generous to offer something to our listeners. So I want to close with that. But you dropped a little pebble in the pond when I asked something that our listeners might be surprised to know about you. And that was the impact that learning to listen and as an adult had on you. It taught you something about your own listening. Can you, do you remember that? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then I have a different question. But you, that was in there that learning to swim as an adult taught you something. Oh, learning to swim as an adult? Oh, yeah, yeah I can tell that story for hours. No, is there um, a short version? <laughs> yeah, all right. So I learned, I learned to swim as an adult. I learned to swim because my wife challenged me going over one of the big headlands in Sydney uh, during a big national holiday saying see all those people out there in the ocean swimming three miles down the sydney coastline getting chased by sharks um i challenge you next year in january you should be doing this swim now in my head it's like i'm completely freaked out what came out of my mouth was when we finish the walk i'll think about it and i'll give you my answer and i was very lucky i had a friend who taught people how to swim as adults and Judy took me aside over February, March, April, and took me to the university near to us where they've got a swimming pool, taught me how to swim. In fact, by June, I was swimming many miles in the pool nonstop. I was really good at it. In July and August, she took me to the ocean and started me to go through the ocean. At first, week one, all we did was sit on the headland and look at what was there. Oscar, this is a wave, this is a break, this is where the wind's coming from, this is where you enter the water. The next week we got in and she took me up to the water in my knees and then the following week we went out past the breakers and she said, okay, Oscar, time to swim. I could not swim three strokes, Sarah. I was red as a beetroot, I couldn't breathe and I was completely struggling. What had happened was back in the swimming pool, Judy had told me to breathe out with my mouth under the water and blow out and get air when my head turned and collect my oxygen. Now, the reality is swimming in an Olympic pool, it's very calm conditions, nothing's in your way. You don't have to breathe out at all, except when you go to the ocean. Judy came underneath me, watched what I was doing, and she goes, you're not breathing out. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, you're supposed to blow out under the water. We then went back to the pool and did remediation for the next two months. And the following year, I got in the ocean. I finished that swim, but I could have done it so much easier if I only listened to my swimming instructor when she taught me how to breathe out. Okay. So we don't always, our immediate feedback, like staying in the pool where it's more comfortable, we don't get the feedback necessarily that tells us we're not quite where we need to be yet. 
And the flip side is true too. A lot of managers get promoted in workplaces where they're used to stable systems and they get elevated into leadership roles where the systems are more external and dynamic and more competitive. And as a consequence, if you haven't built up your leadership muscles in management, you're likely to fail because dynamic systems will bring more variables in. And in my case, there's so many variables when you go out into the ocean. There's the swell, there's the wind, there's the sun direction, there's the waves, there's the salt water. There's so many things there. But because I hadn't done the basics right in the pool, we had to start way back at the beginning again and learn to do the basics well. Now, I, I can probably swim nonstop plus or minus some food because now I have the technique to deal with the dynamic system. But if someone else has dropped into the ocean, that's, that's unlikely to be the case for them. So yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you teach what you need to get good at Sarah. That's why I'm teaching people how to listen. <laughs> Enough said. I, I have my list of getting better at over here. Um, Oscar, please share what people, you know, people go and take your listening. You, you made an offer to our guests that they can get the full report, a certain number of them, but you want a code put in there. Can you share with that? Because I want to incur, I've taken the test. Hmm. It's, it's illuminating. Um, and I would like to encourage our listeners who want to get better to take the test and become part of the community and also to pop over and listen to your podcast. Cause no joking aside, it's, it's rich. Um, so if you would share that with us, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. If you just go to listeningquiz.com and um, please take the assessment that will open up all the um, free assets that we have, whether that's the podcast, the newsletter, uh, for you straight away. There's also a 90 day listening challenge. So for 13 weeks, you'll get one email a week to remind you of the core principles of listening. We also have our deep listening ambassador community where like-minded listening professionals on three time zones around the world meet once a quarter um, to share, improve and uh, get get better at their listening. So all, all of those things there. A lot of people say, you know, how do people connect with you? Um, connecting with me is kind of boring. I'd rather you learn about your listening villain first and make progress on that second. And then you'll connect with me as well. Fair enough. We have the, we have the links in the show notes, folks. So you can just go there. If you're listening while you're chopping vegetables or doing something else at double speed or whatever, find it in the show notes and then go visit the site. Oscar, I want to thank you so much. I was a bit intimidated because I really like this subject, but I also know you're a master at it. So I'm, it's so been such a pleasure to get to spend time with you. And I, and noticeably you turn the tables and ask me a bunch of questions. So, okay there. Well, look, the difference between hearing and listening is the willingness to have your mind change. So well, what's the one thing that's changed your mind about listening today? Oh, many things. But the one that I'm taking away right now because it's present and like I'm actually working on this is, is the whole survey issue that you brought up. So I have control over that. I have control over many things. So I'm actually going to test that out and see, okay, how can I do this different? You know, with this group and this, the challenge, you know, what they've got their own structure. How could I do this different and have it be really valuable for them? Um, mm and still accomplish what they need to do. 
And so I'm taking that away and I'm still reading the book. So I haven't gotten that far in. So I will see where I go with that. But it has been, there are very few books that can make me slow down. Like in the beginning, it says, I recommend, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, thanks for your recommendation. I usually just keep going. This one I took serious. So I am really looking forward to doing that. And I'm also taking away Christopher. So many things. So thank you so much, Oscar. And No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners, like I say every week, if you learn something from Oscar, please take this podcast, like it, share it with a friend. Don't keep it to yourself. And um, we'll see you next week on the podcast. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.